Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. As Hashem, we're picking up now with the weekly recap, the weekly review in Masechus Brachas on the Amad Yomi of this week, which begins with Hamad Aleph and extends through Chesamad Aleph, three and a half blot. And we're going to have 21 sections covering these three and a half blot. Bezvaz Hashem, let's get started. Um, it's a three, four lines down, four lines down Hamad Aleph, which is where we're beginning. In the notes, it's uh, within note 16, section 16. It's really the middle of this section. The Gemara tells us if a person is overwhelmed by his Yetzir Hara, so then there's a series of things that he can use to employ to overcome his Yetzir Hara. He can try to cause his Yetzir Tov to fight with his Yetzir Hara. If that doesn't help, he should learn Torah. If that doesn't help, he should read Kriyashma. And if all of that fails, he should remember the day of death, and that should help him overwhelm his Yetzir Hara. The Gemara tells us that all parts of the Torah were given at Sinai. And Kriyash Malamita is considered a double-edged sword against Mazikim, keeps them away. Moving on to the next section. The Gemara now talks about Yisur, and specifically Yisur and Shalahava, reasons and protection from them. The Gemara says if a person is involved in Torah, Yisur and stay away from him. If a person could be involved in Torah, but he's not involved in Torah, Hashem brings repulsive sufferings to such a person. Unlike people, says the Gemara, Hashem is considered the seller of the, of the Torah, and he's happy to give it to us, and he continues to praise it and tell us how important it was, and us as the buyers, we should take care of it. As opposed to regularly, someone who sells, they're sad to see what they valued go to the buyer. Gemara tells us if a person is afflicted by suffering, you should analyze his behaviors. If he can't determine what is the cause of them, what sin, you should assume it's Bittal Torah, as that's a common enough thing. If not, if it's not that, it's Yisur and Shalahava, which Rashi learns means it's suffering that a tzaddik is given in order to increase his reward in the next world. The Gemara tells us there's great reward for one who can hand, who could handle Yisurin with love, and otherwise Hashem won't give them to him. There is a machlokis, is it only considered Yisurin Shalahava if it doesn't call bit, cause Bittal Torah, or if it doesn't cause Bittal Tefillah, or some hold even if it causes both, it still could be considered Yisurin Shalahava. The Gemara brings a Kalvachomer from Shein Va'ayin, which is how an Evid Kanani would leave by the master knocking out his tooth or eye. It highlights the greatness and power of Yisurin that those cause him to go free. It's just one limb, so certainly when a person suffers entirely, how much greater that's going to be for the person. And also it brings a Gzereshava, bris, bris, from the bris with Melach, how Yisurin cleanses a person's body and prepares him for the next world. The Gemara finishes off now on Hamad uh, Aleph on the bottom of the page, that there were three gifts that are only achieved through suffering, which is Torah, Eretz Yisroel, and Olam Haba. Turning to Hamad Beis, next section. Gemara talks about specific Yisurin of losing children in Saras. Rabbi Yochanan says, someone who's involved in Torah, Gemilas Chasadim, and he buries his, his own children, Lo Aleinu, all of his sins are forgiven, and he brings a source for this. Rabbi Yochanan says, Saras and children are not Yisurin Shalahava, and there's a challenge against this. So the Gemara explains what Rabbi Yochanan meant to say. Three explanations regarding Tsaras. Number one, it's only a kapara, but it's not necessarily a sur and shalahava. Number two, that Tsaras would be different if it's in Bovel where you're not sent out of the camp. That could be considered a sur and shalahava versus Eretz Yisrael. You are, the shame would make it not be considered a sur and shalahava. And number three, if it's an area of the body that's covered, perhaps it is a sur and shalahava versus if it's revealed, it's not. Now regarding children, 
children are not considered Yisurin Shel Ahava when you, a person did not have any children at all. That's how Rashi learns. But if a person had children, they passed away, that could be Yisurin Shel Ahava. Next section. The it tells us four stories about Yisurin. So there's three similar stories where a certain rabbi visited another sick rabbi, and the one who was sick said he didn't want the sickness or the reward associated with it, and the other rabbi cured him. And from these stories, we deduce a couple of ideas. Firstly, that even though a rabbi could heal someone else, he couldn't necessarily heal himself. And also, we see that the beauty of Rabbi Yochanan in the storyline over there was going to be buried, and that was a very sad thing, which actually the Rishonim learned is because he represented, like the Gemara Bab Metziah tells us, the final beauty of, of Yerushalayim, what it used to be. So it was like a korban almost. And the fourth story the Gemara brings is Rafuna had four barrels of wine and they all spoiled. The rabbis rebuked him gently and essentially told him that he hadn't shared the branches of the grapes of the vines with his sharecropper like he was supposed to. And even though the sharecropper was stealing from him in general, a person like Rafuna should have shared those things. Rafuna accepted and immediately either the vinegar turned back to wine or the vinegar became as valuable as wine, meaning his acceptance was a tshuva ready that was fully effective. Moving on to the next section, Abba Binyamin says two points about a person's bed, and then one more point about waiting for a friend. The one says a person, Abba Binyamin says he used to exert himself all day so as not to perform, meaning all of his days, so as not to perform any work or even Torah study, Rashi learns, between ri- rising in the morning and Kriyashma and Tefillah. Number two, he used to keep his bed between north and south because the Shekhinah was in the east and west, which Taisa seems to learn is when he was with his wife, that would be a denigration to the Shekhinah. And this practice is a schus, says the Gemara, to have male children, and that the, wife, the wives will not miscarry. The third point that Abba bin Yaman says here is if two people enter to Davin and Shul and one finishes early, he should wait for his friend before leaving. Otherwise, if he doesn't, his tefillahs that he davened are considered torn up, and the Shekhinah uh, leaves the general populace because of such people. Turning to Vav Muralif, but if you do wait for your friend who's still davening, there's many brachas that the Gemara lays, lays out. Okay, moving on to the next section now. The Gemara tells us uh, a section now dealing with interactions with Shadim. A person's eye wasn't granted the ability to see them because if it would have been, we wouldn't be able to withstand them. There's a thousand Shadim on our left, 10,000 on our right, and they cause feelings of claustrophobia. Even when we're sitting and people are comfortable, still we feel uh, close, it's like pressed together. It all, they also cause worn out clothing and they also cause exhausted limbs from wearing against people. Gemara tells us procedures, how you could see them, but they're dangerous and not recommended. Moving on to the next section, the Gemara now tells us the, the ideas about davening in the Shekhinah's presence. The tefillahs of a person are answered in shul. Hashem is found in the Beis HaKnesis. The Shekhinah is amongst ten people who are davening, and it even arrives before them. It's amongst three people who are in a din Torah, a Beis din, which implies that it's not just a mundane matter, but it's actually Torah. The Shekhinah rests amongst two people who are learning Torah, and it, the Torah they're learning is written not only in their private Sefer Zecharnas, but in the general one, and even with one person learning Torah, the Shekhinah resides. Moving on to the next section, the Gemara tells us Hashem wore tefillin. There were four sections in Hashem's tefillin Shalrosh containing psukim that highlighted the uniqueness of the Jewish people. Just as our tefillin uni- uh, highlighted the special nature of Hashem and how, how He is unique to us in this world, also Hashem's tefillin highlighted the uniqueness of the Jewish people and that they were contained in the four sections of Eshel Rosh, turning to Vav Beis, and those Parshios were also included, as the Gemara lays out, in Eshel Yad, which is only in one section. 
Now, Vav Mudbez, the Gemara tells the next section, a series of mamers about Beis HaKnesis and Tefillah. If a person regularly attends Shul and he doesn't come to Shul, Hashem will ask about you. And this is considered a very negative deed. It'll be dark for him. That's assuming it was a voluntary matter that he didn't come to Shul. But if it was a mitzvah, then it's not an issue. Nogalo, there is light for him. If Hashem comes to Shul and there's no ten people, Hashem gets angry. Hashem heeds the prayers of one who establishes a set place for his tefillah. He is considered a student of Avram Avinu, as Avram was makbed on this as well. When a person leaves shul, he shouldn't take big strides, meaning run out. But when he goes to shul, he should dafka take big strides and run. And this is even permitted on Shabbos for, because it's for Dvar Mitzvah. You're even allowed to run. And that's why the rabbis used to run to shiurim on Shabbos, even though you're not generally supposed to run on Shabbos. Gemara tells us a series of items now in the next section what the main reward for them are. So the main reward for going to a shear is the running that brings you to the shear because you won't necessarily appreciate the shear. The main reward for the preemptive shear, the kala, is the discomfort because you're sitting so close to other people, that's a reschar you get for that. The main reward for learning is the logical effort and discourse you put into it. The main reward of going to a base of a mourner's house is silence, not even saying anything. Of a fast day is the tzedakah you give. Of a eulogy is the wailing. Of a wedding is saying nice things to the chassan in order to gladden him. Moving up to the next section. The Lord tells us a series of agadahs relating to tefillah, weddings, and yerash shamayim. A person is considered a rasha if he davens behind the shul facing away from it. Because it's like he's as, as if he's making that there's two deities in the world. Morat has two pshatim in, in a pasuk. First pshat the Gemara says is that people denigrate tefillah even though it's davar ha'imed beruma shalaylam, something that is of the greatest importance. And the second pshat is that a person's face becomes discolored from shame if he has creditors that he owes things to. Gemara tells us sources from the psukim that people should be careful with mincha marav and shachris because they're extremely powerful. If a person enjoys the seudas chasan and he doesn't gladden him, he transgresses five kolos, which are brachas that he gives, Hashem gives, within the context of a wedding. If you do gladden a chasan at his wedding, so then you merit a series of things. You merit Torah, it's like you brought a carbon toda, and it's as if you built one of the Charvas Yerushalayim, one of the ruins of Yerushalayim. A person with Yerash Shemayim has his words heard. Also, number one, the entire Bria was so he could be created. Second one who argues says he's equal to the entire Bria. The third shot, the Gemara says, the entire world was created to accompany or assist him. If a person knows that his friend's going to say shalom to him, he should first say shalom to that friend, and if he doesn't respond, it's considered a gazan, like you're stealing the favor the guy did for you. Moving on to Zion and Aleph, now to the next section. We know Hashem Davins. What is Hashem's tefillah? As we learn from Beves, tefillah si. He prays that his mercy should be effective with people overriding his more stern midas hadin. The Gemara tells us a story where Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha, who was the Kohen Gadol, gave such a bracha to Hashem, which actually teaches us, you shouldn't denigrate the bracha of someone who's even lower than you. Next section, the anger of Hashem. Hashem becomes angry. The Gemara tells us after the Egel Azav, Hashem told Moshe to wait until his anger passes, and then he could plead on behalf of the Jewish people. Hashem experiences anger in, the, in a rega. What is the rega, the moment? Either it's 1 58,888th of an hour, or, as the Gemara says, second shot a little later, it's the time that it takes to say rega. Bilam knew this time, and Hashem didn't become angry all those days that he was attempting to curse the Jewish people, because had he become angry, Bilam would have been successful in, in destroying the Jewish people. This time occurs in the first three hours of the day when the red comb of a rooster is entirely white and he stands on one foot, or when the kings bow down to the sun because that highlights the Avaidazar that exists in the world. Next section, self-rebuke. Gomorrah tells us that if a person takes to heart on his own, his own rebuke, 
he takes that Musr to heart, it's more powerful than, as one Manda Amr says, many lashes given by someone else, or even more than a hundred lashes given by somebody else. Moving on to the next section, the Gemara tells us the conversations between Hashem and Moshe following the Egel. Moshe asked three things of Hashem. He asked Hashem should keep his Shechina on the Jewish people, as well as that it shouldn't go on the other nations, and those requests were granted. And there's a machlokis if he was granted the third request, which was, show me your ways. Why is it that there's a seemingly inconsistency? Some tzaddikim do well in this world, some suffer, some rishonim do well, some suffer. Rav Yochanan and Rav Yossi says he did answer. And the original understanding of the answer in Rav Yossi was it's based on the father's deed. So Tzadik ben Rosh will receive bad, Tzadik ben Tzadik will receive good, but that's challenged because we see you're only going to be punished for your father's deeds if you follow in their ways. Otherwise, you shouldn't be. So therefore, the Gemara says it's really based on if a person is considered a Tzadik Gomor or Sheino Gomor or Rasha Gomor or Sheino Gomor. Rameyer disagrees, though. He says that Hashem did not respond to that third question, and he said it's up to me, but you don't understand it. There's a machlokis, a related machlokis, if when Moshe turned away from the sneh, the burning bush, was that considered a positive or a negative behavior? Now, back to the Egel. After the Egel, Hashem showed Moshe the kesher shel tefillin, the knot in the back of his tefillin, obviously in an anthropomorphic kind of way. Gemara continues and says, Hashem keeps his word for good, even if it's on a condition which is not ultimately met. And the proof is, because Hashem said to Moshe, when he was going to destroy the Jewish people after the Egel, I'll destroy the Jewish people and I'll make you into a goy otzum, a great nation. And even though ultimately he didn't destroy the Jewish people, because Moshe pleaded on behalf of them, still Moshe had 600,000 descendants, like a goy otzum, like the Jewish people, because Hashem had promised that to Moshe. Now turning to Zion, we're based in the next section. Gemara tells us now there were a series of unique firsts relating to Hashem and the concept of Shema Garam, a person's name impacts his future. Avraham was the first person to call Hashem Adon, the master of the world, which is when Hashem was promising Eretz Yisrael to Avraham by the Brisbane Abbasarim. Daniel was answered in his merit of Avraham calling Hashem the Adon. Gemara says, tangentially, a person shouldn't appease another when he's angry, which we already quoted above, which is a different manda I'm recording the name of. Leah was the first to thank Hashem, calling her son Yehuda when she had a fourth child, Hapam Oides Hashem. Reuven was called such because Leah was saying, look at the distinction between my son and the son of my father-in-law, which is Esav. Esav sold off his Bechorah for Nazir Adashim, for lentil soup, and yet he had tainas, he complaints against Yaakov later for having received it. Whereas my son, Reuven, later in history, he would forfeit the Bechorah against his will, and nonetheless, he didn't hold that against Yosef, but he actually tried to save Yosef by the situation where he was thrown into a pit. Rus was called such based on the language of Rus being something that soaks, because later Baruch, David HaMelech, a descendant of Rus, would soak or sate HaKadosh Baruch Hu, satisfy Hashem, full of praises through his Shiros V'sishbachas to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Gemara tells us this idea of Shema Garam, that a name causes a person's future to be impacted, is based on psukim. Moving on to the next section, the Gemara tells us that David and Avshalom uh, the impact between the two of them as well as the concept of dealing with wicked people. It's worse, Gemara tells us to have upheaval in a person's house than the war of Gog and Magog, than the apocalypse. And this is evidenced because David HaMelech in Tehillim refers to in Tehillim Gimel in much stronger way when he was kicked out of his house by Avshalom than the Tehillim Beis which talks about the, the war of Gog and Magog. Now, it was called a Mizmor when Avshalom kicked him out because at least David was able to identify that it was his son who was kicking him out who perhaps would have mercy on him and now the punishment had been clarified and it wouldn't be somebody else like an Evid or a Mamzer who wouldn't necessarily have mercy on him. 
The Gemara gives four explanations when it's permitted or not encouraged to deal to contend with wicked in this world. First explanation, the Gemara says there's a distinction if it's matters of heaven or it's personal matters. Number two, they're both both contexts where you're allowed or not allowed are talking about heaven matters. The distinction is if the person is a Russia who's succeeding or it's a Russia who's not currently succeeding. Third explanation, the Gemara says, both are where the rush is succeeding. It's a distinction if the person who wants to contend with him is a tzaddik gamor or not. And the fourth explanation is, it's both where they're not tzaddik gamor. The distinction is if that Russia is having success right now. Next section, the Gemara tells us is, a series of points about tefillah. If a person establishes a place for tefillah, his enemies will fall beneath him. Initially, when the Beis HaMikdash was built, the Jews were not even bothered by their enemies. But when they sinned, they lost that level, and they were only not going to be destroyed through their tefillahs, but they were going to be bothered by their enemies. Side point, the Gemara says, serving a tzaddik, Shimusha, is greater than Limudai, than learning from that tzaddik, and it brings a raya from Elisha and his Rebbe Eliyahu. And the Gemara then quotes a story where Rav Nachman hadn't gone to shul. Rav Yitzchak asked why he didn't come to shul. So he said, because I wasn't feeling well. Eventually he said, you should have at least sent somebody to shul. To, you should have at least found out when the tziba was davening and then daven at the same time because there's a power. It's an ace ratzon turning to chesamad aleph now to daven even as a yachid at the time that the tzibor is davening. And the Gemara finishes off this point by saying, if a person is involved in Torah, Gemilas chasadam, and he davens with the tzibor, um, it's like a person redeemed Hashem and his people from amongst the nations. Okay, moving on to the next section. Let's talk about a Besaknesis. If a person has a shul in town and he doesn't pray there, he's called a Russia and he causes exile for himself and for his children. If a person wakes up early and stays late in shul, it's a beautiful thing and it causes him to have long life, even outside of Eretz Yisrael, he, because it's like he's in Eretz Yisrael where it says, person should enter shul at least two door measures inside and then daven showing that he's not rushing to get out at the end of tefillah. The Gemara tells us in the next section five explanations what it means when it says in the Pasuk a person should daven le'es mitzoy for the time that is found. What is that referring to? So the first shot is you should daven for a good wife because er- actually the Gemara tells us in Eretz Yisrael you used to ask a chassan have you been matzah or maitzah? Matzah means a good wife, maitzah not. Second shot that the Gemara says that what it means is you should daven for is Taira, to be successful with Taira. Number three is that you should daven for an easy and comfortable death. As the Gemara explains, there's 903 kinds of deaths. The extremes are Askara, this diphtheria, which is a terrible choking disease, and Misas Nashiko, which is very easy, like Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam passed away. The fourth person should daven for is proper Kvura. You should daven that you have a proper Kvura at the end of your life. And the fifth explanation the Gemara says is that a person should have access to lavatories. Actually, in Bavel, it was difficult to find good bathrooms because of the moistness of the ground. They had to go very far away to dig. And the Gemara says this actually, this fifth shot is the best of them. Moving on to the final section now, the Gemara tells us the importance of halacha amongst other things. Hashem loves places distinguished in halacha more than shoals and batei midrashos. It's the only place that Hashem puts his shechina following the Chorban. The Gemara tells us it's ideal to daven where a person learns Torah because the shechina is there when a person learns Torah, and certain rabbis would do this as well. The greater, it's greater to benefit from one's own handiwork than having your Hashemayim, the Gemara proves it from Sukkim and Tehillim. A person should live in a place of his Rebbe if he listens to his Rebbe, but if he doesn't listen to his Rebbe, don't live there, because then it'll be better to be Bishogig doing the wrong thing not, rather than doing it intentionally. A person can't leave Shul when the Torah is open, because that's a disgrace to the Torah. There are leniencies if a person leaves between the Aliyahs when it's closed up. And the Gemara leaves off with Teku, if you're allowed to leave between the Psukim, when the Targum is explaining the Psukim.
However, if Sheshis would actually learn Torah while the Kriya Torah was taking place, he said, it's permitted, I'm doing what I'm doing, they're doing what they're doing, and there's no issue with that. Tysus gives three explanations why he was allowed to. We're finishing off here at the bottom of Ches Amun Aleph. Ezra's Hashem will pick up the next week's review, picking up from Ches Amun Beis. In the meantime, everybody have a wonderful day.